Today's episode of Trawler Talk is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue-water yachts that focus on luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. With a model line ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef Yachts is the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Now, it's time for our podcast. First time I met our next guest was in the early 2000s when I had just started in this business and I was at a one of those highfalutin parties that these yacht companies put on, champagne and hors d'oeuvres and things like that. And we were pretty dressed up, the crew, and I look over and another journalist points out to me, this gentleman head to toe in khaki with a knife on his belt and a ponytail. And I knew I had to meet this guy. Turned out to be Chris Caswell, who at that point had been in the business for probably about 30 years and now has been doing it for over 50 years. Uh, He's written a bunch of books about boats, about the lifestyle, about charter cruising, sailboat racing, nautical fiction. He's done it all. And here today, he's going to talk about some navigation tips that really will stand the test of time when your uh, great electronic equipment goes out. So stay tuned. You're in for a good one. Recently, I was on a boat and I was looking at three, I think they were 24-inch Garmin chart plotters on the on the bridge and mm-hmm. it had everything I needed. And then I was thinking about something that my guest wrote a few months back and he said, what happens when they all go black? Because that could happen. What do you think, Chris? Well, first of all, it, it, uh, it does wonders to your adrenaline, to your uh, blood pressure, to your heart rate. Um, it checks all of those much better than it would in a, uh, in a doctor's office. Um, <laughs> after you get over the uh, initial panic, um, you, you, you should have known this was coming. Uh, I, I hate, I'm not going to give away my age, but I've seen too many screens go black. Uh, I couldn't even count them. Uh, it just happens. Uh, think about how often your television goes off, how often your computer suddenly starts going wonky your cell phone uh, even even the remote for your tv at least mine does it goes wonky and and just doesn't work at times so if you've staked your entire boat your family your friends on total belief that that uh, electronics are never going to go black that's why we're here because we're going to get you home even if the GPS, the chart plotter, all the good stuff has gone, gone away. The basics, I think, are let's start with a couple of pencils. Yeah, you need pencils, and those are really hard to find on some boats. I don't know why. Everybody's got ballpoints. Everybody's got everything, but pencils, and not only pencils, a sharpener. You need a sharp pencil to draw a little fine line on the chart. So that's the starting point. Well, Chris, Chris, let me stop you right there. We're, we're assuming that everyone carries charts on board now. Well, there again, um, the, the people who have this 100% faith that um, Murphy's Law is never going to struck, strike their, uh, their electronics uh, probably don't carry charts. Uh, in fact, I've been on several, several cruising yachts uh, of fairly decent size that had no place to store full-size charts. It used to be a standard. Somewhere in the pilot house or nearby was a flat chart table, 
and underneath it was a flat drawer that stored charts. You gotta have charts, absolutely. Even if you trust your electronics, have charts. Yeah. So you can get charts in in handy little uh, ring bound binders nowadays. Um, but but have charts. You need them. Okay. So those a pair of pe- a couple of pencils. Then you need a, a pair of dividers for measuring distances on the chart to tell you how far you are from going aground. Um, and uh, I'm a fan of parallel rules. I've never really much liked course protractors. I like parallels, just click, clack, click, clack all the way across and it, it, you draw a little line along the edge of it and you're, you've got your course. Mm-hmm. So those are the basics, but it just, you need paper charts. You need them. You have to have them. Yeah, I I don't mind walking around with the with the ring, you know, the the binding uh, right. paper charts. Those are they're convenient, they're easier to store. I mean, if you don't have a place on board, but uh, yeah. okay. So we're on, your your electronics go out. You you use you get your charts out. You get the parallels out. You've determined your location, but you've got to get home. So we can. How do you calculate distance at this point? If even if some some of these charts, like some of these paper charts, there's not that mileage scale on the side, which is usually used to see. Well, any any nautical chart, and we're not talking a Texaco roadmap here. We're talking a <laughs> nautical chart um, will have latitude and longitude marks. The latitude marks run up and down on the right and left side. The, lati- the longitude goes across the bottom of the top. Don't ever, ever, never do anything with the longitude marks. But on the side, you get latitude marks. These run up and down. And one minute of latitude, and it, they're marked off in minutes, mm-hmm. is exactly equal, exactly equal to one nautical mile. So if you need five, if you need to know how far something is away, you can measure it with your dividers, take it over to the right or left side of the chart, and then measure how long, how far it is. It's 4.2 miles away or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know exactly. Now, something about mileage. And this is something a lot of people don't know, mm-hmm. that the Great Lakes charts measure miles differently. Oh, yes. Oceans, a nautical mile is 6,776 feet. It's, it's uh, longer than a statute mile. The Great Lakes uses statute miles on their charts. And more than a few people have uh, found themselves walking home uh, from the lake because they put it aground because they didn't know that or didn't pay attention. And there are conversion numbers for converting a nautical mile to a statute mile or back to nautical. And uh, I'm not going to bore you with, with math because I was a really, really bad math student. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing you can do is just use the right or left side of the chart and boom, now you've got, a, you've got your mileage distances right there. Oh, great, great. Now, another thing with the chart is uh, I heard you mention before is something called the thumb rule. And this is the first I've heard about this. So can you explain that to me in the audience? Sure. A thumb rule is, um, and, and this this works regardless of whether you have fat thumbs or skinny thumbs. Mm-hmm. You never, ever go closer to a danger like a reef or a shallow spot than the width of your thumb on a chart. You put your thumb down the chart and measure, uh, put your thumb on the edge of the danger zone. Don't go any closer than the other side of your thumb. Um, now that works if you're on a, on a less detailed chart, a small scale chart, they call them. Mm-hmm. That does, that's, that's a really large chart that covers large areas. That keeps you in, in good solid deep water. 
But if you're on a, a large-scale chart with a lot more details, this allows you to still stay safe because that thumb width is far enough out that you have some, some margin of safety. So that's the thumb rule. It's very simple, and um, it doesn't really matter. They're like a lot of, uh, of Siemens tricks, um, it, it doesn't much matter how whether you have a thick a thumb or a, a skinny thumb. Yeah. You know, speaking of hands, there's something else you, you uh, had mentioned uh, to me, I think, in an earlier, something called the three-finger rule. This has nothing to do with giving anybody the finger. Oh. This has oh, wait, to do stop, with... Stop right there then. No, I'm, I'm only kidding. Go ahead. Tell us the story. Tell us what it is. This is a pretty strange one. And again, um, uh, I was a pretty hopeless uh, math student. Um, and so you're just going to have to trust me on this one. If you hold your arm out at arm's length level okay. with three fingers sticking out from your hand, mm -hmm. those are a height indicator. That, from your eye to the three fingers, is about six degrees. Now, here again, trust me on this math, any object at a six-degree angle is ten times as far away as it is high. Just trust me on this. Okay. Let's say you see a radio tower on shore, and the chart says it's 100 feet high. When you hold your hand out and you measure it against what you can see, and the tower is three fingers high, well, then you're 1,000 feet away. That's because it's 10 times as far as its height, 10 times 100. It's 1,000 feet. You're 1,000 feet away from it. That gives you the distance from that point on the chart. So yeah. it's, uh, let's say, one and a half fingers high. Then it's 20 times the height or 2,000 feet away. It's, it's really useful because on your charts you'll have pretty much any tall structures, lighthouses, radio towers, even um, uh, even tall buildings will be high, uh, marked very accurately in the height. So you can use that um, to uh, cheat. Interesting. You know, you mentioned radio towers, and um, I like when I'm cruising here in the Northeast. Sometimes, especially during the during the uh, summer, I like to listen to a ball game. You know, yep. ball games yep. are broadcast here in New York on six sixty a.m. They've got a pretty remarkable tower. Um, now, how can a radio signal say it's coming from that or from something else help me determine range? And how can I use that signal to sort of get me back to where I'm going? Okay, so you've got a, a, a I don't know, a portable radio of some sort. Yeah. In the, in the day, I'm dating myself again, uh, we used to call them transistor radios. But the first thing you need to know is which way the antenna runs on your little radio. And usually, if the radio is uh, uh, long and skinny, it runs the long way. So when you find that commercial radio station, tune into it. Um, and uh, it, the antenna for it is usually marked on a chart. Um, tune into it and then turn the radio really slowly until the sound goes to the weakest point. That means that the antenna is lined up with that radio station. Hmm. Um, you can go back and forth just a little bit and it'll go louder and then a little bit weaker and then louder and weaker. And then you'll know which that's the direction to that station. The station's on the chart. And um, uh, your your antenna is pointing. Now, this is the thing. It's also what they call a reciprocal. So the antenna is either pointing directly toward or directly away from the tower. Okay. Don't go the wrong way or we, you'll be writing for me from Gibraltar someday. Um, <laughs> but it basically points towards it. In California, where I grew up, uh -huh. um, KBIG 
was the big station, uh, and this was long before I became one of their um, broadcasters broadcasting about boating, but it was on Catalina Island. It was above the city of Avalon, okay. and the uh, station, the tower, was clearly marked on every chart, mm-hmm. and so we could just home in on KBIG. It was real easy. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, radio stations are still broadcast, and it hasn't stopped yet, has it, Chris? We're still... And still going. Still <laughs> going. KBIG. Uh-huh. All right. So what I was thinking about, too, is um, equipment that you have on board that's going to be working when your electronics go out. and. One of those things, yeah. every boat is a compass. So, yeah. you know, there's some things you can do before the situation comes up, you know, just to make sure your compass is in good working order and that you can right. sort of trust its heading now. Can you explain yeah. that for me? Well, first of all, I've got to say, uh, please, I hope everybody has a compass on board. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised sometimes to see that, oh, no, I've got GPS. Oh, no, I've got a chart plotter. I don't need a compass. Uh, I just want to smack them up alongside the head. And what we're talking about here is a magnetic compass, yeah. not a uh, not one of these fancy electronic compasses or a flux gate compass or whatever like that. Something like, like you had, it came in a Cracker Jack box some days, uh, mm-hmm. a little tiny compass that swings when you move around. Yeah. The thing that you want to make sure is that your compass is accurate. Okay. And the way you do that is you get it corrected and what we call it in the biz in the in the nautical world is you get your compass swung um you get a professional compass adjuster out who checks your compass for for deviation or for changes of uh it could be because there's um uh metal somewhere nearby that uh, causes it to be a little bit off so you want that thing to be spot on Mm -hmm. so that you know that when you say i want to steer if on your chart it says a steer uh, down the center of this channel at 150 degrees magnetic, you're not going 130 right directly into uh, a waterfront restaurant. So uh, last time I think I had mine done, uh, uh, an adjuster ran, I don't know, about 150 bucks plus lunch uh, mm-hmm. for him. And, uh, and that did uh, a compass both inside the pilot house and up on the bridge. Mm-hmm. So that takes care of that compass. But I would always, always carry a spare. And you can find these pretty much any place, any one of the marine hardware stores. They have really cool ones in the, in in teak boxes that you can carry a spare compass. And uh, the second thing is that the compass adjuster will probably give you a deviation card, which even though he has corrected the compass, it may be really good going north and south, but it's just a weensy bit off going east and west. Yeah. So he'll give you a card that shows if you're going due east, you want to correct two degrees one way or the other, for example. Get that deviation card from him, make 10 copies, stash them every place on the boat, and laminate one copy so that you have it right by the compass. Keep it on the bridge next to that Richie Globemaster, right? It, Richie Globemaster, love it. <laughs> now, you also want to check your compass just as you go along uh-huh. uh, from time to time. Now, uh, some of the um, uh, marinas uh, or harbors that I've gone in and out of over my lifetime, there will be an entrance buoy at the outer end of the harb, uh, uh, the uh, entrance, sure. and, uh, and then there's a, a buoy at the beginning of it. You can draw a line on the chart between the two. It's 147 degrees magnetic, for example, and just line it up with your own boat 
And if your compass isn't reading 147 degrees, don't call your call your compass corrector again and have him straighten things out. But that's an easy, quick way just to keep you make sure double check that your compass is is right. Now, a couple of warnings yeah. about compasses. Don't put your keys down next to it. <laughs> Do not. It, it steel anything steel makes compasses go totally wonky. Mm-hmm. Um, in the old days, and I say this again, I'm giving away my age, putting a steel beer can next to the compass, which we all did, amazing amount of change to the compass. Amazing. Um, second thing is, don't um, uh, the, the builder probably knows all this stuff, but when you start adding little goodies and sticking things in there, when you wire something up, don't put the electrical system right next to or even under your compass. That's, it'll throw it wanky. Yeah, good point. Um, if if you're making uh, if you're putting in your own compass, make it easy to read at the helm from where you sit or stand at the helm. Um, can you see it? You don't need to be popping out of the chair and then leaning over the compass to make sure that that uh, you're lined up uh, on the right course. Uh, make it easy to read and have big numerals on it. Mm-hmm. And when you mount the compass, do not use anything except non-metallic mountings. Bronze, stainless steel screws only. Mm-hmm. You put a, a plain steel screw in there, and uh, I guarantee you, you're going to be visiting your compass adjuster regularly. <laughs> Listen up, so, boat builders. That's Now, that's about regular compasses mounted somewhere on your bridge or wherever. Yeah. I'm going to throw this in, and we haven't, we haven't talked about this. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Have a, have a hand-bearing compass. A mm-hmm. hand-bearing compass is something that is just a portable compass, really, but it allows you to get cross bearings. You can line up something. For example, uh, it has a, a couple of little indicators like rifle sights on it. Mm-hmm. You aim that at, say, one of these radio towers we've talked about and read off what the degree is. You can plot that on your chart. You can take, um, once you've plotted that one on the chart, find something else. Get two or three shore objects. Use your parallels to draw a little, you know, with a sharp pencil, again, mm-hmm. uh, on your chart, and where those lines intersect, you is. <laughs> Simple. So, so I have a hand-bearing compass that, that again, uh, is is practically ancient. I mean, Smithsonian keeps calling me to see if they can have it. But it's um, it's in a beautiful uh, dovetailed teak box. It was made in, uh, in Germany by Plath and... Um, uh, it's just a thing of beauty. It's sort of an upright. It's like an upright flashlight with a, a rifle sights on the top of it. But now you can buy a, a good quality hand bearing compass that looks like a hockey puck. Um, I just saw one. Uh, this is terrible at Walmart for like five ninety five or something. West Marine has uh, twenty five different varieties of sort of pocket hand bearing compasses, yeah. and uh, and have one of those on board. It'll help. Today's Trawler Talk podcast is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts from 58 to 115 feet. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Now, let's get back to our conversation. Great, great. All right, so I got another thing. So I wear an analog wristwatch. A lot of people wear these, you know, Apple watches and things like that. So how is my how is my analog wristwatch going to help me? You, you mentioned something to me earlier about this, and I was like, oh. I never thought about that. Well, um, 
you are one of the three people still wearing an analog watch. I'm the other one, uh, <laughs> one of the other ones. Um, uh, but with your analog watch, you know, you're going to have the Mickey Mouse hands, mm-hmm. Mickey's big hand and his little hand. There's an hour hand and there's a minute hand. So if you hold the watch level and you point the hour hand at the sun or draw a line from where the sun is down and then point at that area mm-hmm. in the northern hemisphere and everything we're talking about here is in the northern hemisphere halfway between the hour hand and the 12 is roughly south wow that's uh, not even roughly it's pretty close to south yeah. um so you can figure out which way is south mm-hmm. pretty easily that's useful if you're using your transistor radio to um to line up uh, on a um uh, uh, on a radio station, and you know that you know it could be a reciprocal bearing. It could be uh, 180 degrees in this direction, or 90 degrees in the other direction, or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, by doing this, you can tell that you know that land is roughly south of you yeah. or north of you. You can use your uh, analog watch, uh, just check where Mickey Mouse's hand is, and um, between that and the 12 is south. Is south. Easy, yeah. Easy. yeah. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this for my next question. And a lot of times I'm coming back to a harbor that I know or coming back to a place that I know. And I see it's evening at this point. I see a bunch of lights in the distance. And all of a sudden I don't recognize certain lights or I don't recognize how far I am from the harbor. Now, there's something called dipping a light. Now, I I read this and I still I'm going to make you do a little bit more of some calculations. I know you don't like math, but this one's easy enough. Tell me how you dip a light. Okay. Uh, the basic is the Earth is curved. Okay. So when you're when you're swimming in the water, for example, and your eyes are at water level, you can see maybe a hundred feet. That's it. That's not really the curvature. But if you're standing on the bridge of your boat, or in the pilot house, or something like that, you have a certain um, distance to the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, the higher your eye is, the farther you can see. There's a there's a formula. I'm not going to do it. I don't care how you beg me. But I carry a little laminated chart on the bridge. But the first thing that's most important is knowing what your height is on the bridge. Got it. Of your eyes, mm-hmm. not not the top of your little bald head or or where from your eyes. So let's say uh, let's say you're eight feet above the water at eye level. Eye level is eight feet above the water. That means your horizon is 3.2 nautical miles away. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you see uh, a light that's out there on the horizon, okay. uh, just, just peeping over the top of the horizon, if you dip it, if you dip your knees and drop below that eight foot level of your eye, normal eyes, or if you go over a wave that drops you down into a hole mm-hmm. and, and the light disappears. Yeah you know that it's 3.2 nautical miles away. That's the distance to the edge of your horizon. Mm-hmm. Now, it gets weirder because let's just say that you're looking at a light lighthouse that's 100 feet tall. Okay, most charts give you a visible range marked on the chart yep. of how far out you can see that light. Then, so a 100-foot light would be uh, visible at 11.4 nautical miles. That's the range. If you were standing on that lighthouse, that's the horizon that you would see. 
film. Then you add to that what your height is above the water. Let's say eight feet again. Uh-huh. You're 3.2 miles away. Add those together, and you've got 14.6 nautical miles. You see that lighthouse out there just peeking over the horizon. You'll you'll see the loom of it when it flashes every so often, just right on the edge. Uh-huh. Dip your knees, and if it goes away, it is 14.6 nautical miles away because that's the height of the lighthouse above water plus your height above water to give you your visibility range. And I have a little laminated chart yeah. on my bridge um, that uh, that tells me uh, various heights for – uh, various situations. At five feet, my rain, my my horizon edge is um, uh, 2.7 nautical miles away. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm at 10 feet on the flybridge, I'm at 3.6 nautical miles away. So I can tell exactly what my horizon is. It's like the old time sailors that that on the charts they used to say there be dragons here out beyond that horizon. Mm-hmm. I know that I can't see anything at water level more than my height above water. Got it. And just yet another reason to bring a chart to have those things. Absolutely. Easy, easy to reference, you know? And, uh, yep. Yep. Okay. So that's, that, that's at night. And I got another one for you at night. And this is sort of a basic celestial navigation tip that people could utilize because the stars yep. are visible on some of these clear nights, but I'm yep. not, I'm not asking people to do, um, these complicated celestial navigations to get back home, but there is something you can do to at least determine what direction you're going to go in. What is that? Well, um, knowing where you are on the ocean is, is really, if you know where north is, you've got a real head start on how you get home. You know where you want to go. North is going to be somewhere involved in choosing that choice. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you find north, you're halfway home. First of all, you have to find the Big Dipper. And please, please, readers, tell me you can all find the Big Dipper. We all found <laughs> it when we were seven years old and our dad was pointing at the sky. Yeah. The Big Dipper, is. it looks like it has a handle and then sort of a, a cup or a bowl. If you Find the, the two stars at what they call the front of the Big Dipper, which is away from the handle. Imagine that long-handled ladle and then the cup, the ones, uh, the, the stars at the front of it. There's two stars in line. Draw a line between those two and up, and you'll find a kind of not-so-bright star not very far away. That's Polaris. That's mm-hmm. the pole star. It is directly, directly over the North Pole. It is always directly north. I don't care if you're in the Atlantic. I don't care if you're in the the Med, in your Pacific. It is directly north. So that's one way you can find your way home. (laughs) That's good. And by the way, I would just say this. Learn celestial navigation. I I first learned celestial navigation from my father, who was a a, uh, bomber navigator during World War II. And so we would go out in the backyard, and he had a, a sextant, and I, he was showing me how to use the sextant, and I would plot everything. And, and the first few times I found myself um, uh, in, in Montana, uh, in Alaska, uh-huh. uh, in, in some interesting places, uh, even though I was in a backyard in California. But now I have a really inexpensive plastic sextant, 99 bucks roughly, okay. any marine hardware store. And um, uh, I've just stayed reasonably current with it. And so at any point, I can tell you exactly, and I mean not maybe with the 
GPS, uh, what is it, a nine-foot circle, they say now. But I can get pretty close to that. So, And it's fun if you're out there, if you're sitting in the cockpit, having your sundowners, having something with a, a, a little umbrella and some clinking ice cubes, mm-hmm. uh, to whip out that section and see if you can find something, find out where you are. So I just uh, simple recommendation: get a get a cheap plastic section and have some fun with it. I think I can put the iPhone down long enough to learn a little bit about yeah. that. <laughs> okay, back to yeah. you, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you know, presumably there's going to be stuff you lose. We're talking the scenario is you lose your chart plotter, but there's going to be yep. some equipment on board that's working, and there's you. Most boats will have analog speed gauges, analog gauges yep. for the engines. Uh, how can those get you to your home harbor? Okay. Well, an analog speed gauge, we used to call a steam gauge, a knot meter, um, old-fashioned and pretty, unless you snag a piece of, uh, of uh, seaweed or something on the, on the wand down below, most of, a lot of them don't even have wands anymore. Mm-hmm. It'll give you your speed, and pretty accurately, too. Yeah. If you have your speed, just multiply your speed in knots by 100, and you get your exact speed, very exact, in feet per minute. So let's say you're traveling uh, five knots. Um, you multiply five times 100. So you're traveling at 500 feet per minute. Got it. So you're in fog. You're coming in the channel, and you don't want to. You don't want to keep poking around in there. You figure the fog's going to lift in an hour or two, and you want to anchor somewhere near the channel, but not someplace where some guy whose GPS is still working is going to run into you. Yeah. Um, let's say the shoreline's 1,500 feet away from a buoy that you can see. Mm-hmm. Just steer toward shore at five knots for two minutes. That places you 1,000 feet inshore from the buoy so you won't get run down, and you're still 500 feet from shore. That's a safe distance. Drop your anchor, have a beer, wait for the fog to lift. Presumably there's, enough, presumably there's enough water to, to, uh, well, yes, of course you're going to, you're going to get your thumb out and you're going to put your thumb <laughs> on the chart and make yes. sure that there's no, um, uh, it, it, the birds aren't standing somewhere closer than 500 feet yes. from shore. Again, a chart is helpful. And, uh, you know, you can also take, look at your depth sounder and sort of Absolutely. coagulate Absolutely. your coagulate, you know, with your chart on where you are with that. Uh, Absolutely. Every chart is marked in depth. Just use your depth sounder or your fish finder. We used to call them fathometers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can even follow. I mean, there, there are uh, a lot of the fishing guys follow like a, uh, a 10 fathom curve and they just keep the, the uh, sounder clicking along at, at exactly 10 fathoms going in and out along the shoreline wherever they are. Um, but when you see uh, uh, use your finder, you can find the depth. And then look to see what where that depth is on shore. You may be ideally there'll be a, a seamount uh, or a canyon uh, somewhere. There'll be a readily identifying uh, uh, feature that your sounder will suddenly go from from ten feet to a uh, hundred uh, feet or two hundred feet or something. Mm-hmm. You'll know suddenly that's exactly where I am, and then you can maneuver from that point. Okay, let's assume that. Nothing's working on board. You're in fog, and you're by yourself. But you got your your pooch with you, man's best friend. And you say, and you got a horn. How how, how do? <laughs> let's talk about that. 
old seaman's trick, old fisherman's trick, really, the dog bark navigation. Um, and this really came about mostly in the northeast, the down east Maine, for example, yeah. where a lot of the shoreline is rocky or cliffy. Um, if you uh, – uh, the, the old-time fishermen had a dog on board, and they'd listen for the uh, echo back from the cliff on shore. Okay. Sound travels at 1,200 feet a second. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, left, you left Fido home, so honk your horn, and if the echo takes eight seconds to bounce back, divide it by two because it has to go out and back. Yep. Multiply it by 1,200. That means you're exactly 4,800 feet away from that cliff, three quarters of a nautical mile. You know where you are. Um, if you're someplace where you're um, off a sandy atoll with palm trees, mm-hmm. it isn't going to work. Yeah. You're in trouble. You better better find something else to do. But the, the dog bark navigation works amazingly well, especially, I mean, you don't even have to have a a major cliff, uh, just anything that echoes back, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and, and it works perfect. Twelve hundred feet per second for sound. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give that the test. I'm gonna head up past the GW Bridge up to the Palisades, bring my dog on board, who I'm shocked hasn't barked during this podcast, and see what's there wrong. You go. But I'm there gonna go. I'm gonna put all this stuff to the test. Uh, first thing and foremost is I'm gonna get some paper charts and I'm gonna bring them whenever I travel. So. Uh, Thanks for your time today, and I really appreciate these tips. I'm going to try to utilize at least some of them and hopefully not have to, but I'm going to keep in mind that those chart plotters can go black. They can indeed. Jeff, thank you very much. This was fun. And uh, just everyone listening, get charts and make sure your compass is accurate. You'll be home free. Spoken like a true professional. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Today's episode of Trawler Talk is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue-water yachts that focus on luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. With a model line ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef Yachts has the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Thank you for listening to Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, a long-range cruising authority. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to Passage Maker, it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head. Just go to passagemaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk features post-production from Nate Gruca at Active Interest Media. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels.